You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media app for outdoor enthusiasts. If you love to hunt, if you love to fish, if you love to hike, if you love to camp, if you like to be outdoors, then you need to download the Go Wild app. It's a perfect place for you to join a community of people like-minded people who enjoy the same things that you do. You won't be persecuted for posting a trophy pick. You won't be persecuted for, you know, posting meat or whatever like they do on, uh, you'll get some haters every once in a while on Instagram and uh, Facebook. But I think it's a really good place for you to not only share what you do, but join a community and that allows you to meet other people and who knows what happens when you meet other people. A specific example of is, I posted a comment or something about uh, shed hunting, and I met a guy who shed hunts near me, and I think we're going to team up and go on a shed hunt together uh, this this fall. So, or this excuse me, this spring. So, if you haven't had the opportunity, go to the Google Play Store, download the Go Wild app, and if you want some more information, you can also go to their website, time to go wild.com. Get outside; it's time to go wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. In three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Justin Dunn. What's up, man? Oh, not a lot, not a lot. So, uh, I got an email from you, and uh, I think this was a this was what last week or, or the week before. Maybe the like somewhere in the uh, uh, first part of the month of February, and I'm just like, hey, at the very end of one of my podcasts, I said, if anybody is still listening at this point, send me an email or let me know that you're still listening. It was like way at the end of one of the podcasts, and I got I got a I got several people who ended up emailing me, and you were one of them. And in this message, uh, you kind of included uh, some more information about yourself, and uh, we ended up scheduling this podcast so before we get into all of this uh what do you do for a living 
And where do you live? Uh, well, uh, my name is Justin Dunn. Uh, I work with the uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department um, down in Corpus Christi, Texas, or Rockport, Texas, actually. And uh, I'm a, a fishery technician, and we basically uh, manage fish populations on the Texas coast. Um, we um, do everything from gill netting uh, to shrimp trawls in the bay and the gulf. Uh, we do long lines for sharks, uh, also red snapper. Um, and we also do bag seining to look at recruitment, um, just to make sure that the, the fish have plenty of babies to uh, continue on uh, living, I guess. So, yeah, I've been doing that for, um, I guess, eight, nine years now. Um, so, yep. Okay, so the very first question that pops into my into my mind is has to do with social media, right? Because mm-hmm. whenever uh, the Department of Natural Resources in a specific state says something, there's always a handful of people who think they know more than scientists and biologists and researchers and all this shit. And they're like, oh, that's dumb. I, on the four acres I hunt, they're, you know, they're overpopulated <laughs> or, or there's no deer or whatever. And everybody voices their opinions. So in your job, how much of your job is just like research and data and like gathering that and then putting it into, um, I guess, a document so it can be uh, published? Uh, pretty much majority of it is. Um, I mean, I'd probably say 75% um, is actually going out and collecting the data, uh, recording the data, uh, editing. Um, I mean, we can't stop with just double-checking stuff. I mean, there's um, triple, quadruple, and, I mean, continue on. I mean, um, so, yeah, it's pretty much, I would say 75% of it is actually collecting the data and, and doing something with the data. And the other probably 25% is just maintaining our equipment so that we can go out and collect data. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. So as a fisheries tech, you're not actually an officer going out and writing tickets or anything like that, right? No, sir. No, sir. We we have different divisions for that. So that would be the the Texas game wardens. They're the ones that uh, enforce the laws. Uh, What we're doing is we're kind of... Uh, in a roundabout way, we're the ones that are going out and collecting the data uh, and then um, interpreting that data to set the regulations, and then law enforcement goes out and actually enforces those laws. Okay, I got gotcha. you. So I take it there's the fisher, the fishing department, and there's also like the, uh, the I guess, the whitetails, or is that just kind of all under one roof and everybody – is in charge of a different species because in Texas, man, there's a lot of, a lot of animals to hunt. Yeah, no, it's all, it's all separate. So I, I work with the uh, coastal fisheries uh, and we're actually different from inland fisheries uh, as far as freshwater goes. Uh, then there's a wildlife division that is completely separate. Um, and there's all different um, departments kind of breaking off from those, those two as well. Uh, like we have a hatchery side, we have a uh, rivers and streams side, we have uh, artificial reefs, um, just different things like that. So, um, no, no one person is doing everything. Uh, we all, we all kind of, we all kind of uh, have our own little niche uh, that we can put forth the most effort to. Gotcha. Is based off your experience, and I don't know if you ever worked on the freshwater side or if you've always been on the saltwater side, but 
is is there one ecosystem saltwater or freshwater that is more fragile than the other if let's say a, a fishery is over like uh, uh o- either overpopulated or um, there's too much harvest or let's say a hurricane comes through and does a ton of damage is there one uh, ecosystem that is more fragile than the other yeah um i don't it's kind of it's kind of difficult to say. I think um, freshwater is so difficult uh, just be, just because it's um, there's so many individual lakes and streams and rivers. Uh, so I mean, I guess you could say that those are a lot harder to manage uh, and and could could be more fragile. But it seems like um, uh, as far as like hatcheries uh, go, uh, we can kind of maintain populations better um in freshwater saltwater um it's just a lot more vast open water and um well we just had hurricane harvey hit um brockport directly and uh hey to be honest with you i think it actually kind of helped i mean i'm not saying this as far as the data is saying it but it just it, it almost kind of seems like the hurricane actually helped the the fishery um for one, I mean, nobody fished for about nine months after that, um, and it just it changed up a lot of um, um, the bottom um, in in the bays. Gotcha. Okay, so are you responsible for the entire coast of Texas, or just like a certain, I guess, certain mileage? Yeah, I, so I, I work for uh, uh, for just an individual bay system. Um, and we have eight different bay systems, um, up and down the Texas coast, uh, and each one has its own, um, management crew. Okay. Uh, so we're very specific. And then, um, but then on top of that, like as far as Gulf, the Gulf goes, um, we break the Gulf up into five different regions. Um, and so we, um, uh, I'm lucky enough to be one of the, the Gulf, um, uh, offices as well. So, uh, we get to go play out in the Gulf. How far out do you go offshore? Nine, nauti- uh, nine nautical miles, um, and we we basically maintain 15 miles north and south uh, of uh, Port Aransas. Okay, so um, so you're going nine nautical miles out. Um, so what happens after nine nautical miles? Is that a completely is that considered, I guess, international waters or something like that? Or is that just where your research stops? Uh, no, we, um, so we actually will go, um, so nine nautical miles, um, is what the federal government, uh, allows us to manage, uh, as a state, as a state. Um, and that, that differs, um, depending on what state you, you live in. Um, some places it's only three nautical miles. Um, so once you get past nine nautical miles in Texas, then you then you are in uh, basically federal waters, um, and that's kind of like the federal government owns that, um, and that runs out to 200. I believe I believe it's 200 miles. Um, then that turns into international waters after that. Okay. Um, but we we've actually just we have one program that um, uh, we started doing for looking at red snapper. Um, and we've actually started going out past that nine nautical miles. Um, and probably the furthest we've gone so far has been about 40, 45 miles gotcha. Uh, out. Gotcha. So. Okay, so 
after you do your, you know, you do your research, you catch fish. I take it you do a whole bunch of measuring. Uh, you do a whole bunch of uh, data collection. You get all this stuff, and then that determines the the rules and regulations for whatever the next the next season, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so with such a big body of water, how do you gather data? Um, I guess from a like to have a an accurate sample size to say, okay, this boat can only have this many fish on it. The fish have to be this big. Like how how do you cover such a huge area? Um, it's it's very difficult. Um, and to be honest, some of it's above my pay grade. <laughs> gotcha. So, um, but uh, everything's randomly selected. Um, so we don't um we don't create any bias. Um, and, um, so a lot of it is, is based off of just randomly selected locations. Uh, so it gives you a little bit better idea of actual population size. And then we also, uh, we, not everything we do is, is done with nets. Uh, we actually do interview anglers as well. Uh, so we'll do, uh, what's called boat ramp surveys, uh, or krill surveys. Um, and we'll go out and interview, um, the anglers as they come in when they, when they bring their boat in. Uh, we can measure their fish. Uh, so it gives you kind of another parameter uh, to everything. Um, and you can see not only what's out there, but you can also see what's being harvested. So it kind of, it helps, it helps our, our biologists uh, to make a more accurate um, regulation, I guess. Yeah. Um, gotcha. So <laughs> for some reason, I just got, I just got done watching a documentary about drug trafficking I I think it was like last week or the week before. And the only thing I think about when I hear like the Gulf of Mexico is these drug boats coming in from some South American (laughs) country and, you know, they have all the drugs on them and coming. Have you ever ran into anything like that in your, because you've been doing this for what, nine years, you said? Yeah, just about. Uh, No, I have not. Um, uh, I'm not saying it's impossible. Um, We do have, we have anglers, uh, we've got some forums, some fishing forums down here, um, that it seems like every year or two, you'll have somebody, uh, with a, um, a bundle of, of some, some sort of grass uh, that, that drifts <laughs> up on the shoreline. Um, and, um, and actually, I mean, we, we did have one of our, um, uh, one of the guys I, I worked with, um, back in his career. I mean, it's probably been 20 years ago. Um, they were actually on the beach and they found a, um, um, I believe it was cocaine. I believe that, that dr- drifted up, but, but no, it's, we're, I think we're, we're far enough North that we don't really see it a lot. Gotcha. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure if I was down on the border or even heck potentially more like, uh, Galveston, uh, the Houston area, you may or may not see it more, but it's, it's not, it, I don't know. I mean, TVs kind of play some stuff up. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like Miami in the eighties where like there's, you know, boats full of cocaine coming in every hour. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, so then, you know, as you start collecting this data, um, how, how long does that take you? Is that a, is that something that you do different times of year? Cause I, I take it that the the population of let's say shrimp or 
uh, I don't know if there's crabs down there or let's say red snapper, do they migrate or move in the ocean throughout the year? Yeah, different different uh, species uh, move. I, like we have we have some species that live in uh, like flounder, uh, like southern flounder uh, and redfish that they'll actually spawn offshore, um, and then they come they'll they'll leave out um, like for redfish they'll leave out in the fall, um, go spawn kind of over the winter months and everything, and then those redfish start coming back in um, the juveniles and and well, also the adults. But so yeah, we. We have year-round sampling, um, so like our shrimp, our shrimp trolls, uh, we do those in the Gulf and the Bay. That's year-round sampling. Uh, boat ramp surveys, that's year-round sampling, um, and then um, our bag saning, that's also year-round. The only thing that we have that's more seasonal is going to be our uh, gill netting. Um, that's going to be in the spring and the fall, uh, and that's kind of it's been determined that that's a better time to do it because the water's a little cooler, um, so you don't get as much um, kind of mortality, um, but you're still getting a good representation uh, of the species in the bay. Gotcha. Um, and and then also, too, like as far as um, our snapper uh, and, and shark studies that we do, uh, we're doing long lining. Um, that's going to be summertime. Um, uh, our spring, the sharks is spring, summer, and fall, um, but... Uh, and then snapper is basically summertime. Okay. So not only do you guys have to worry about, I mean, you got to set rules and regulations for individuals, but you also have to set rules and regulations for commercial fishers as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. So <laughs> is that hard to do when there's people like based off of a change that you, your rules and regulations may make some companies could potentially lose or stand to gain depending on which way the regulation changes like millions of dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. So is there, Um, I mean, this, this might be higher than your pay grade, but does that like, is there a lot of people like trying to stick their nose into your guys's business? Uh, yes and no. Um, and, and again, yeah, that, that kind of is, I mean, it is, it's above my pay grade. Um, you do have people that come in and they, they want to know, uh, well, wh- why did you set? Why is this regulation set the way it is? Or why? Why are y'all cutting this down? Or why are y'all increasing this? Or um, and that's basically just it's sent up to, to our headquarters, and uh, that's what that's that's their their side of things. That's what they deal with. Gotcha. Okay. So cool. Well, <laughs> we've talked a lot about fishing because I find your job really interesting. Um, is it? Is it a cool job? I mean, do you like it? Do you like doing what you do? Oh yeah, I love it. I mean, I I grew up hunting and fishing uh, my whole life, and to get paid to uh, to go fishing basically is uh, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, now granted, it's still a government job, and they don't pay you much, but I guess they we have a little joke that goes on in the office that they pay us in sunsets and sunrises. So yeah. amen. Amen. You can't complain about that. Um, what's the craziest thing that you've ever pulled up in a net? Oh man. Hmm. Like any, any, like anything cool or maybe a very unique species that doesn't get caught very often, or let's say a, a record fish that you threw back or something like that. Yeah. It's honestly, there's really too many to even to say. I mean, 
we we don't really get a lot of snook um in um in our area that's kind of more south and uh south of us and also like florida um but heck after hurricane harvey um i think we ended up catching uh i believe it was 12 uh in our in our gillnet season um which was that was i mean i think it's the record we've never caught so many uh or that many before and um you catch i mean we catch little crazy looking eels and um like that's the kind of the cool thing with working uh in coastal fisheries is there's abundance of of different fish species um and it seems like it doesn't matter how long i've been here uh, every it seems like every week or two uh there's something new that i find or awesome. something that i've never seen before so uh it's it's exciting that that definitely keeps the keeps the job fun and then um we'll go and have these some of those boat ramp surveys and you'll see some of these deep water um uh, these deep water fish that i mean you would never see um elsewhere yeah so yeah what's a what's a specific example of like a very unique fish that uh, let's, let's say for example a deep water fish uh we had a we actually had a, like a, i think it was a, a state record escalar that came in one time that was um that was pretty cool they uh they they call it like i think it's white tuna when you you buy um you go to a sushi restaurant or something it'll be like white tuna yeah um and uh yeah we had one of those brought in and i've, I've actually never seen one they have really big eyes and kind of a dark body to them uh so that was pretty cool um and uh, actually i had to put my hands on the uh, state record big eye tuna um which granted wasn't very big because they're not even they're not even supposed to be here but yeah, yeah. we had a little uh, had a 50 pounder that was pretty cool nice that would be cool just not ever knowing what you're going to get every time you pull that up and you know you 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 probably have a good idea that okay today we're going to catch this kind of fish but you know as you're sorting and measuring this i don't know uh, something you've never seen before kind of pops up and it's just it's crazy that you know we see the ocean just from you know pictures we don't really get to see a lot of what's underneath the water and how complex and uh that ecosystem is with all the different species that are in there as well. Oh, it's very diverse. Very, very diverse. Um, you it's, I mean, freshwater, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of species in freshwater. And I mean, that's what I grew up doing. I, I was, I fished freshwater my whole life. And, um, but yeah, coming, coming to saltwater. I mean, you, like I said, I mean, I've been doing it for like going on nine years now and I still see stuff that I've never seen before. So, that's awesome, man. I tell you what, you know, people do ride alongs with police officers. Sometime I would love to do a ride along with you and your job out on a boat someday. And just while you're doing that net, just God, that, that would be fun. I, I bet you people would pay to go on an adventure like that. Yeah, we, we have, we have plenty of people that do that, um, all the time. I mean, we have people that are retired, um, college kids. Um, and just people that, I mean, if they have a, uh, they have unusual schedules where they have days off during the week, uh, they'll come and they'll come out with us just to, just to see things. I mean, yeah. um, so yeah. Do you ever spend the night out You're there? You're more than welcome. Uh, no, we don't. Um, gotcha. we never stay out overnight. Um, the, like the fed, the feds do, uh, when they're going offshore, I mean, they've got a, um, they've got a boat that they do 
it basically never comes into port except to fuel up and they're out doing overnight trips but yeah we don't ever do that gotcha well that's awesome man that's a very unique job and uh man i tell you what if i'm ever in texas i'm gonna look you up uh, especially on the coast and i'm gonna i'm gonna make you take me out there while you're getting paid to do that and i i just love to uh take a look and see what's in those nets man that'd be crazy oh yeah come on down all right well in this email, and, and, and you know, this is majority like a hunting podcast or a bow hunting podcast, and we've kind of went on a 20-minute a tangent there, but uh, that's what this podcast is all about, man. I've never, I've never planned a podcast. I, I've always shoot, <laughs> you know, shot from the hip, and uh, and it says here that you're some, you're you're very new to bow hunting. Yeah, um, I kind of I kind of dabbled in it when I was uh, in middle school. Um, my my dad bought a bow and I just decided to start shooting it and I mean we went on a couple pig hunts but just never really capitalized on anything and I just kind of lost interest in it and um, I mean I was a teenager and had other things that were more important on the sports and college and things like that so um, well uh, just recently um, my uh, my wife has family in uh, South Dakota. Uh, and we went up there to go visit and um, started looking into hunting. And in Texas, I mean, we have 2% public land, um, which, I mean, it's, it's pretty scarce. Well, we went, went up to South Dakota, and, I mean, I just figured that I'd be able to go anywhere and just hunt on the side of the road type thing. And started looking into it a little bit more and noticed that um, it's it's a little more difficult to get rifle tags. Um, but if I would, if I got a bow, uh, I could just basically just buy an over, over the counter tag and get out there and start hunting. Um, uh, so that lit a fire under me and yeah, I guess, uh, I guess it was, uh, Thanksgiving of 2017. Uh, I went ahead and bought another bow, um, uh, and just started shooting every day. And, um, yeah, it, it got a little crazy from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, on this trip to South Dakota, uh, we, we started we started talking a little bit about this before we started recording. Uh, I'm thinking about going out there on a mule deer hunt this year. When you went out there, uh, did you did you feel like it was uh, a whitetail type of area that you were in, or more of a mule deer area? Uh, so I was hunting the the Black Hill. Um, okay, and from everyone that I've talked to up there. Um, there's mule deer in the black hills but it seems like the majority of it uh, is whitetail um and now granted i hunted really late I, I was hunting christmas uh pretty much almost the end of their season um and i think a lot of those deer had moved into to lower elevation uh but everything i saw was was whitetail uh, if you start heading uh east northeast southeast um from that rapid city area or the the, the um the black hills then you kind of get a little bit more into that mule deer uh habitat um so that's actually what i'm planning to do this next upcoming years um i kind of went after whitetail and the black hills this next year i'm going to try to go after mule deer and the uh and those kind of um flats or yeah. whatever you call them <laughs> grasslands yeah. all right so you picked up a bow after putting it aside for several years how i mean 
was the learning curve easier for you as you were older or did it take you a while to get back into the swing of things and, uh, you know, find the equipment that felt right and get back into, you know, consistently shooting and, and get to the point where you felt comfortable going after and, and actually using that to kill an animal. Um, it, it came, it came by pretty easily. Um, I have a very addictive personality and when I put my mind to something, I'd, I, uh, I go at it a hundred percent. Um, like I said, I was, I was shooting, uh, anywhere from 50 to a hundred arrows a day, uh, every single day. Um, and I actually had a bow for a month. Um, and I guess it was right after Christmas is when I harvested my first, my first pig, um, with it. So, uh, it was pretty quick. And I mean, Every second, every free second that I had, I was listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, just trying to like learn as much as I possibly could, um, kind of learn not only just technique and trying to, to get myself better, uh, to be a better archer, but then also kind of going into the equipment more and trying to, uh, make sure that I'm, I'm using everything I need to be or the correct stuff, I guess. Okay. So it didn't take you long from the sounds of it to get comfortable with it. And then you started chasing some hogs. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've been hunting my whole life. Um, but, and so I kind of had that, that whole side of things. Uh, the big learning curve was just, just basically getting back to shooting the bow, uh, and getting accurate with the bow. Gotcha. But it's not like you stopped hunting. You were just hunting with a a rifle. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I, I've had some, um, I had kind of a family deer lease, um, that I hunted on and pretty much nobody hunted with a bow. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like, I guess Texas doesn't, I mean, for the most part, there's, I don't think there's really, um, as many bow hunters as there is rifle hunters in Texas. Yeah, probably not. I mean, Uh, that's, that's probably everywhere in the United States, but you know, it is what it is. I, I, you know, it's, it's cool. I think, I think any hunter's progression in life, you know, if you're happy with shooting a rifle, that's awesome. But I feel like everybody wants to try it at some point in life. And if, if they, if they become successful and this is, this is coming from someone who has absolutely no gun experience, right? Uh, I think I've killed one, maybe two does with a shotgun and that's it. I've never killed a buck with a shotgun at all. And I, I, I just find bow hunting more, you know, I don't know. I like bow hunting better, I guess you could say. So me coming from a place of not understanding anything about gun hunting or firearms, I guess you could say, I I just feel like people, after they become successful consistently with a firearm, their next progression would, they would want to, you know, try, try a bow out. So, but then again, that's me assuming. And, uh, uh, I don't know. So. I think you're right. I mean, honestly, I'll never pick up, uh, well, I'm not going to say I'll never pick a rifle up again, but, um, I, I've basically passed up, uh, opportunities that I I could have easily shot animals with the, with a rifle just because, uh, to me, it's actually, it's more exciting. Um, there's, there's more to the hunt, uh, with that bow. And, um, I mean, if I ever get to the point, kind of like what we're talking about this progression, um, maybe I'd move over to uh, a recurve or a longbow. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of, I guess that's kind of the deal with, uh, I guess Aaron Snyder did that. So yeah. um, that may, that may be a progression I go to later on down the road, but 
uh, I'm having way too much fun with a bow right now to, or a compound to, uh, to get, to go anywhere else. Right. That's, and from what I hear, that's a whole nother animal too. So I don't know if I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm necessarily ready to take the next step and, uh, go trad, go full trad life. But I think (laughs) someday, someday maybe I will. I shot a, I shot one trad bow at the ATA show this year and, uh, it was fun to shoot. I'll, I'll give you that. But as far as going out and being a bow, successful bow hunter, I think my uh, my time with my my prime bow is still uh, I'm locked down to compound for a while. <laughs> yeah, I've got a I have a ten month old at home, and uh, I don't I don't have the time <laughs> to, the time to, to go for a recurve right now. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. How much did your hunting and fishing and outdoor life change once you had a, you know, once you've had a, a son, it's a son, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, how sir. much did that change? Uh, quite a bit. Um, now I had, I had some kind of special circumstances, but, um, I, uh, I still got out, I get, get out quite a bit but um like my son spent 25 days in NICU so that was okay. that was pretty tough and we didn't I mean there's a lot of times that, that I would have been out hunting I mean honestly uh when uh, my son was induced uh and the day we were supposed to go in to uh to for my wife to be induced uh I actually went out and shot a pig that morning <laughs> so it was kind of I told my wife it was my last hurrah that I went I would stop hunting for a while and uh it was kind of a little white lie but, uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, um, what month I'm, was he born? He was born in April. Okay. So April, May, June, July, August, September, October. So he was, so he was, I guess, let's see, when did you reach out to me? That was in February. So, uh, you, you have, uh, he was, he made it through one. I mean, you've had a kid through one hunting season. Yes, sir. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I tell you what. Anybody who says, "Oh, my life's not going to change when I have kids. I'm going to be able to hunt and fish, you know, as much as I want to," well, they have never met the re- the god of reality because that guy <laughs> slaps you clean in the face when you have a kid, and and a lot of your life changes, man. It's crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. Pretty much what it's what what it's done for me is. I uh, now, granted, I have I've got some some really great grandparents that that love my son more than anything. And so, uh, they're more than happy for me to go hunting sometimes just so they can have time with my son. So, uh, um, but what it's limited to is now is where maybe I was going hunting every week or I was going fishing every week, uh, one or two times a uh, a week. Now it's kind of like, well, I've got this week that I have to dedicate and I've got to do as much hunting during this week that I can. Um, and then put it off for another month or so. Yeah. It's crazy because I, I feel like I have to plan a month, if not more, in advance. Like, I told my wife, uh, let's see, this weekend is the Iowa Deer Classic. And I I had to tell her almost at the beginning of the year, hey, March, in March, I'm going to the Iowa Deer Classic and I'm going to do some podcast stuff. And and uh, she's like, okay, well, let me get it on the schedule and we got to find daycare, we got to find assistance, got to, you know, because my kids are crazy and <laughs> and it's hard, it's hard for one of, one of us to watch all three of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. So, but it sounds like this, uh, in 2017, 
you shot 11 hogs though? Uh, well, that's, uh, pretty much, uh, the first one that I shot was, uh, let's see, uh, December of 2017 was the first one, uh, that was on public land. And, um, well, in Texas, I mean, it's basically, it's year round, there's open season on them. Um, and so it just kind of spread out through there. So far this year, I think I've shot, uh, since or in January, I've shot four, I believe gotcha. this year so far. Um, and the other ones was, there's a, there's a public land property that I go to, uh, and it, it opens February, uh, 1st and runs through, runs into the summertime. Um, and the only reason that they have a season for pigs on that property is because there's other things. They have youth, uh, youth hunts out there, uh, for whitetail. Um, they also have duck hunting on that property, um, dove hunting. And so they basically just don't want too many user groups, uh, on that property and take a chance of somebody being hurt, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's uh, it's just been kind of spread out uh, over that whole time. Um, and um, so, yeah, that, that first one I shot was up around the Waco, Texas area. And uh, majority, or well, actually all the rest of them have been down on the Texas coast. Gotcha. Um, so so you're, kind and of only, a, you're kind of in a position okay. where you can go out and go saltwater fishing. You can go in and hunt deer. You can hunt hogs. You can hunt. You can fish freshwater. It sounds like you're kind of in a, a place where you can do just about anything at any time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the fishing goes, fishing is um, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, I can go catch white bass in the river, uh, like an hour away, um, or go go catfishing or bass fishing. Um, pretty much an hour away and i got the coast down here uh whitetail is another it's kind of another thing um with like what i said as far as public land in texas i mean we only have two percent um and it seems like it's a lot of it's a lot of small properties and they're just scattered all over the state um so as far as whitetail goes there's quite a bit of traveling uh that i'll do i mean um heck one of the um, I shot two bucks, uh, this, this previous hunt or two whitetail bucks this previous season. And I had to drive, um, about six hours, uh, Each to get way? to the spot where I was hunting. Yeah. And yeah, that's on, one pu- way, on public? Hours. Yes, sir. Right. So you, you don't have like, cause I know a lot of guys in Texas are on hunt clubs or they lease land. You don't do that. No, uh. Well, I work for the state, and my te- my my wife is a teacher, so I, I honestly don't have the money to, to compete with some of those ranches or to, to to pay for some of the some of them. So, um, yeah, and that's another another reason too of why I went to the bow is just because it gave me more hunting opportunity. Um, yeah, and um, and also too, I mean, Texas is a big state. I mean, um, heck, I went up, I hunted uh, mule deer in Amarillo, and that was about a twelve hour drive for me, and I'm still in Texas. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it lets me see a lot of new area, um, and yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't really. Uh, I mean, I could technically still have a hunting lease that I could potentially go to, um, but it's it's honestly it's more fun to chase chase whitetail uh, on public land. Out of, uh, out of the back me. of your truck. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I've uh, <laughs> I actually kind of built up a, uh, a little platform, and uh, I've got a little bed that I've, I've made up in the back of my truck, and ice chest in the back, and yeah, it's uh, it's an adventure. I mean, it's kind of um, it just it it's kind of cool for me because it just like gets you back to uh, the roots. gets you back to yourself, and yeah, yeah and. Yeah, so it's 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 pretty cool. I enjoy it. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, I don't know. Some when I hear we don't have wild hogs in Iowa that I know of, um, but are there hogs all over the place down there? Because it sounds to me like down in Texas and and throughout the South, you can go and hunt hogs j- just. I don't know. Like it's easy. You can just anybody can go out and kill a hog at any time. I think it's kind of regional. Um, I mean, yeah, there's probably pigs everywhere, uh, but they kind of move around. Um, and but if you get into an area where there's pigs, yeah, it's it's pretty easy hunting. Um, and it's kind of cool because you um, like for as far as spot and stalking goes. Uh, they don't have that long neck like a deer, so they're a little easier to get up close to, um, and it's a little more fun, uh, fun hunt. But yeah, I mean, where I grew up at, I grew up in, like I said, the Waco area. Uh, we never had pigs. That I mean, it was just like you hear of places in Texas that had them, but we never did. Uh, up until probably, I don't know, five, ten years ago, uh, and now they're just they're all over the place up there. Yeah. That's crazy, man. It's just, it's amazing to me how an animal like that can just be everywhere all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't, I mean, there's really nothing, there's no um, no real diseases that, that are knocking them out. Um, I mean, they're an invasive species to Texas, um, so they don't have the problems that, that our native species do, and they start reproducing at a really young age um and can produce quite a bit um every time yeah um so yeah they uh they can blow up pretty quick i mean uh i've had i've had quite a few people tell me i mean there's pretty much no way that you're gonna wipe wipe pigs out uh like humans just don't have the ability to do it um i mean granted uh unless you wanted to um i mean you could you could poison but that's not i would never recommend that yeah uh i mean and you see the guys that uh, they go hunting out of the helicopters, which looks ridiculously fun to me. But um, <laughs> that's that's another way that you're going to be able to, to kind of to control them. But even that, you're still not going to wipe them all out. Yeah. Um, they still are a pretty smart animal. I mean, the um, uh, my in-laws have um, have some property um, about 45 minutes away, uh, and they have quite a few pigs. And I was able to, to shoot some uh, uh, with my bow off of uh, off a of feeder at night. And they learned real quick. I mean, once a couple of them uh, got caught, they uh, they don't come around anymore. Right. But that doesn't mean they're not there. They're yeah. just they're off somewhere else reproducing. So absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, that's it's pretty unique hearing your story because just being able to do your job and then also loving the outdoors and you know you're you're at sea and on land and man, that's. Uh, it's really cool what what you do and and uh, how I don't know you you get a chance to hunt and fish literally everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun. I'm 
Um, I've actually got I've got buddies coming down from the Houston area uh, here in two weeks to we're gonna go try try to case, uh, chase some some redfish. So nice, nice. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, Justin, man, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast today. Kind of a short one, but uh, really cool story, man. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to do this. Oh yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.